Well, you know, I have a team member, my head of business development for cancer centers talks about an asset-based model. And she wants to interact with cancer centers who want to add patients to trials. And folks that really aren't interested probably shouldn't be in our research consortium. And we've really made this switch over to that asset-based model. If you don't want to be doing trials, you don't really want to be engaged, then you're probably not the right fit for the consortium. That's a tough decision to make when you've had folks in and engaged to be able to say, you know what, we're probably not the right fit anymore together. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM which just helps to also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com slash leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. I'm really excited. This is Ledge, and I'm here welcoming Marie Lamont. She is the president and COO of IntelliQuit. Marie, you have an interesting business that I could not do any justice to. So I want to hear about you and the business. Uh, Introduce yourself to the audience, please. Sure, sure. I have been with IntelliQuit for about two years. And before IntelliQuit, I was actually the president of the patient services business at Doman Life Science Services. They're now part of Eversana, a fantastic provider to biopharma. Uh, Before that, I was actually the global head of business strategy and commercial operations for rare disease at Sanofi Genzyme. Um, It was about a $2.9 billion business, and I also was fortunate enough to lead the humanitarian programs uh, that provided free therapy for more than 1,000 patients suffering from rare diseases in emerging markets. Uh, Sanofi and Genzyme totally believed in taking care of the patients first, and if there was an inability to pay they provided the product for free because it is a life-saving drug. And so I think it's an important component. That's sort of what led me over here to IntelliQuit. You know, we provide oncology solutions to cancer centers and, and biopharma. And we how we do that is we match patients to clinical trials. We give the information to docs and their patients about clinical trials as a care option. What happens in the industry is chemotherapy and radiation is still the go-to. However, you have this huge opportunity to use personalized medicine in the form of biomarkers and genomic and molecular data, you know, omics as people can call it. 
And that is not resident in every EMR. Sometimes it sits in a report in a PDF. Docs need to make decisions really super quickly. Time is of the essence with cancer patients. And so our goal is to get the information in their hands so they can consider a clinical trial as a care option for their patient. It helps the docs, the patients, and the cancer centers. Well said. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you and I were talking just you know, off mic before we started you know, just about data in general, I think is, is just the thing now that we have learned as a, a business, you know, sort of like a society, right. That we can make better decisions faster decisions with the copious amounts of data. And then the challenge being that in fact, you know, the data is there, but it's in this, um, you know, totally unmanageable format like PDF or, you know, non taxonomy sort of stuff that you need to make sense of because you can't draw a conclusion A from, you know, different sort of collections there. It's, it's just a massive problem in every industry. And you guys are taking it from the standpoint of like, well, this actually, you know, saves lives, not just makes more money, uh, which, which is even more important, you know? So yeah, I'd love to know, you know, from the inside kind of what that looks like. We don't, we don't always think, as I think from the business and founder perspective on how much work it is to solve big problems using data that, that maybe isn't so pretty. Happy to do so. So I think there's, there's two things here. Everyone thinks technology will solve all the problems. It never will, but it can help solve some. And as long as you're really clear about what it can and can't do, that's key. Uh, the IntelliQuit organization set out... Uh, in about 2016, 2017, to solve the problem of matching patients to trials using data. Um, you know, today, even today in electronic med medical records, only 60% of what you need to match a patient to a clinical trial is in structured form. That does mean staff members at cancer centers crawl through charts looking for the details. And centers have to go hire people, That that's all they do. So it's a cost issue for cancer centers, but it's a time issue for patients and their doctors. So we aimed to solve the problem of how do you ingest clinically relevant healthcare data, convert it from unstructured into structured data using NLP, OCR, norming and conforming, solving the biggest bad data challenges, but also using parsers to, to actually do a fantastic job with biomarkers and other important cancer and oncology information. It's interesting when I take a look at what we do today with biomarkers, with all the cancer centers in our consortium, about 3% of patients have structured biomarker information in their EMR. 3%. We're able to use our parsers to jump that up to 40%. And that's just the first rough cut. So it's a massive difference. Think of million cancer lives, 3%, up to 40. So now all of a sudden you're providing more options to doctors and physicians uh, and their patients using the technology. And so that's what we aim to do. Um, I have a group of fantastic, I'll call it uh, architecture guys and gals and software engineers. 
And these are the hard problems they try to solve every day. Uh, what are the issues? And it, it's interesting. Someone asked me the question, Marie, why don't you have 100% of the patients with biomarker data? Some patients are in remission. They don't need a therapeutic. So they're not going to have the tests done unless it's necessary. So, uh, you know, until we see genetic testing as a standard of care for every single patient on a go forward basis, you'll never hit the 100%. Uh, what I'd like to see is the industry and healthcare get up to 60 or 70%, uh, because there's a lot of other information that can help patient care with um, genetic testing, not just cancer care. So as a this is interesting, as a business leader, I'm listening to you talk and you have the the crisp delivery of having done this a lot of times. So I wonder from a strategy and business development perspective, have you sat very often in what I'll I'll call the the sales and relationship seat because I I recognize it when I see it. Um, funny enough, yes and no. Uh, so uh, the reason why maybe I'm crisp is because I'm passionate about it. And Genzyme and Sanofi Genzyme was an organization that believed in taking care of patients first, patients, physicians, your employees. So if you go at your solution for how can you help patients first, it makes you pretty passionate about what you do and look at the world through that lens. So if we think at IntelliQuit, how can we help cancer patients? Well, that means how do we help oncologists? How do we help cancer centers? It, it leads you to a pretty deep understanding of what their challenges and needs are. And IntelliQuit's somewhat interesting. Community cancer centers especially, they can't afford to buy our platform. So we actually give our platform away for free. Because matching of patients to trials is super, super important in healthcare. So someone may say, how do you how do you monetize this? Well, we use de-identified healthcare information to help biopharma design clinical trial protocols to help them decide on early clinical stage decisions, go, no go on research programs, or is there an addressable patient population for this indication for my molecule? So we use interactions with biopharma to help provide this to cancer centers for free. It's an interesting business model because we are sitting in between cancer centers and biopharma. While we do talk, if patients reach out to us, we mainly help the cancer centers and their physicians to provide those options to patients. So I think the answer is yes, but not as much as you might think. I have a lot of clinical folks that interact with the cancer centers more than I do, because sometimes I think I'm a little bit too 50,000 foot, where uh, I have a great BD team who speaks the clinical language of cancer centers. Sure, sure. So, and you come from the the strategy function into the operations and leadership then function. And, you know, I, that's maybe like more of a rare path there. You find a lot of marketing CEOs, you find a lot of operating CEOs, but to come with the high level strategy function as sort of the basis of that, you would think more at the 50,000 foot level, which then makes me think that 
you need to have the discernment to surround yourself with a lot of practitioner and operators because in fact, you know, us, and I am of the strategic bent, uh, I maybe am the idea person and don't have, you know, don't do all the things. So like talk about the team building there that comes from your own disposition. If you were in fact a practitioner, operator, CEO, you'd be having to staff differently than you do as a strategic idea person. So, you know, one, I'm a strategic idea person. Second, I see connections, right? I just, I have this innate ability to be uh, connectedness. It means I staff to fill the gaps that I don't have. I recognize I'm not the best business development or salesperson. So I hire those people who can provide that in the organization. I'm not the best software engineer. You don't want me touching software. So I hire the best I can find to do that. So I recognize my gaps and places where I might need buffers. Uh, someone said to me a job or two ago, they said, Marie, you're so far ahead in strategic thinking, you leave us behind. I've learned to turn around, grab my team, and then pull them forward. But I also hire folks that are willing to give me really awful news, that are truth tellers, uh, as one of my staff members says, because I don't want to be so far ahead. I'm unwilling to hear what the issues are today and try to determine how do we resolve those. One of the biggest challenges we see with cancer centers is money. It takes staff to do clinical trials, to match patients to trials. How do we, how do you solve that for them um, in a strategic way? So I tend to think, okay, how do we, what do we need to get to? I know some of the steps along the way and the team comes in and fills in the gaps there. How do you actually figure out as a leader, let's say you didn't have the experience of having done this several times and you, you develop the discernment, you know, sort of wisdom is maybe just the experience of having, you know, sort of played around and done things that worked and didn't work. Right. And you collect that over time and it's hard to articulate sometimes where that came from. But if you had to go back and paint a picture for here's how you develop as a leader, as a founder, the ability to see your gaps and the ability to measure what they are and fill them with somebody else. Like what, what is the rubric for that? How do you do it? How do you set out to do it better without having to take 30 years to figure it out? I think recognizing your emotional intelligence levels are important. I once upon a time was so detailed. I didn't see the forest through the trees. I was lucky enough to have that opportunity to invest in myself. And I spent some time doing 360s, getting coaching, understanding where my gaps were, because I, I think I innately recognized if I didn't fill those gaps, I wouldn't move ahead. I love strength finders. I love insights discovery for team building because using those tools that allows me to see my gaps. And then as I interview and talk to people, I look for those who can fill that gap based on what I've looked at, what I've seen. However, you also need folks that are going to have a good personality fit. And finding the personality fit and skill set is, I think, what takes a great leader. You want to you generate high-performing leadership teams. So if you're smart, you hire people who are much more intelligent than you, but who are looking for you to help mentor and coach them 
in the areas that they need development, much like they're going to augment you. My jobs years ago was to make my bosses look good, right? It wasn't just to make me look good. It was to make my boss look good and the organization look good. Um, if you look at the world from that perspective, I think you're much more willing to identify and notice your gaps and strategize how to fill them. Right. Sure. Sure. So from the beginning, are you an advocate of jumping out with some kind of assessment tools like that just to see? I, I like I like strength finders, too, because you can literally grid out your team across. I think it's 32, you know, sort of different metrics. And you can see a picture of it on a spreadsheet grid and say, oh, wow, you know, we're all in the green quadrant, which means uh, we're missing things, you know, and uh, I learned through that tool you know, surround yourself with people of focus, uh, which is how I know to ask the operator, you know, kind of question because uh, I'm an activator. And so I come up with a whole bunch of stuff to do and then I start it and then I don't do anything. And, and I, I need focus, you know, and executors. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 in a sense, was not aware of, I, if you don't have that experience, you kind of think, well, this is just how everybody thinks. And so I stumbled into that without having the the mentorship. And I, I, I like to help people and talk to leaders about how to help founders and folks earlier career to realize you don't know all the things. It just your brain just tells you, you know, all the things because that's the only things that the brain knows. Right. So uh, awareness of gaps is not innate. You know, we, we are trained to think that we just know things and that's the way everybody sees the world. And in fact, it isn't that way. So I th if you ever have a chance, take a look at Insights Discovery. It's used globally. It takes Myers-Briggs to the next, you know, X level, but it's color-coded. And what it means is here's how people process information. Do they go into the details first? Is it an interpersonal conversation they need first? Uh, do you need to show them you care? But I love that because the company gives you the color blocks. They look like Legos, but they're a little bit bigger. And... The teams, if you work with the teams, they start to recognize their pitfalls of whatever they go to first. But it also means when they interact with another, my engineers are blue. They're all into the details. So they don't necessarily appreciate people who might be yellow, who are involve me or show me you care. But using the co color code and they can go, oh, I'm going to be talking to that person. Okay, I need to flex myself a little bit to interact with them. I think it gives you that. I'll throw a personal uh, example out. Someone that I worked with years ago is green in, in uh, Insights Discovery. I'm red. They're green first, then red. And we kept on butting heads. It was terrible. And I went away and started scripting conversations with them because we needed to work together. We needed to be successful. Uh, the organization needed us to be successful and we weren't. Um, by scripting the conversation, I started recognizing how much I needed to adapt to their green nature, but also get us on the same page. That we're both interested in helping and doing what's best for patients, but we were coming at it from different directions. And when we articulated the goal was the same, then it wasn't me versus him. It was about, oh, Okay, so here's how you're trying to do it. Oh, here's how you're trying to do it. And let's solve. It ended up at a point where he actually asked me to come and join one of his organizations five years later. Now, if you had asked five years earlier, we never would have worked together ever again, right? So, but it took that 
recognition that we both work differently and a willingness to make it work that made us both successful. And he's the CEO of a biotech firm now. Um, So we both run organizations, talk to each other periodically. We became friends because we were willing to compromise a little bit and put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Right. And the definition of empathy, right, is, you know, Mm -hmm. just let me try to experience the world through that lens so that I can understand how that might feel. Of course, you know, pulling feelings into business is like, what? You know, especially the engineers are going to like, we don't want to talk about that. But, uh, you know, yeah, that it is the level of um, interpersonal comfort then that would come from different types of pathways to to interaction. How do you do that in a small team then? You know, you have the opportunity, yeah, I mean, you have the opportunity in a big team to work the law of averages and inertia that comes from a collection of blues, greens, reds, and yellows. You don't have that as you start to balance a team that maybe is two founders or, you know, then sort of the first employee and then you're up to number eight. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging to de-abstract that. I think in a smaller org, it's harder. And if you have teams that are all one color, it makes it even harder. So when we do team meetings, in-person meetings, which has been almost two years now, we do we did a whole session using insights, getting teams segregated, getting colors segregated, in, interacting with one another, understanding how your color makes you react to certain situations. Um, it was about team building, but it was also about that emotional intelligence, understanding a little bit more about yourself so that you understand how you react to other people. I think it's small stepwise approaches is the way to deal with the team. But if I am in a meeting, and if it's a large meeting, I'll save the real-time coaching until after the meeting. But if it's a one-on-one, I'll actually offer in-the-moment coaching because I think that makes a huge difference. It, it is not a, you've done something wrong. It is, you know, here's what I observed. I think if you had responded in this way, here's how they would have responded. And, and use that as an opportunity because you're leading from the front and you're encouraging your folks to do the same with theirs. Yeah, uh, you you just described, you know, sort of active facilitation. Coaching is like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Team building sort of facilitation is like that. Did you organically learn those skills or do some work to, to study that? Because that's that's pretty, uh, pretty good textbook team building facilitation, what you just said there. I will credit the old human resources team of Genzyme and the leadership at Genzyme, they encouraged us um, to do this. Some people adopted it more than others. I carried it from Genzyme through Sanofi into Domen and into IntelliQuit. Each time you use it, you get better at it um, and you understand it more. But I also, I recognize I am in need of continuous improvement. That's a hard thing to acknowledge, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor. But if you recognize you need it, you're more willing to invest in it for yourself and your people. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about that, you know, so roadblocks, speed bumps, mistakes you made, you know, along the way, assumptions that didn't work out. You know, I'd love to get to the point where like 
it's easy to present and even in a, in a venue like this, I said, things are so great, you know, and, and <laughs> uh, we really learned a lot and we're doing amazing. And I, I always want to step and say, you know, looks from a leadership and uh, founder perspective, that's not always the case. And in fact, all of us have made, you know, blunders, errors, uh, interpersonal business, you know, blew up some money, killed a startup, you know, whatever it was. And if we don't talk about that, we isolate and make the uh, the error making early founder feel as if they're deficient. And I think we have a bad habit of doing that in startup land. So tell me some stories where you completely screwed up. Oh, let's see. You know, that's a great question. If I think about what IntelliQuit does, there is a mindset of we can solve your patient matching problems. You need to implement us right away, right? We are your solution. And I think that it's easy to forget cancer centers, especially large ones, but even small ones, have bureaucracy to get through. And they have an obligation to prioritize efforts. And sometimes they're implementing a new EMR, migrating a new EMR, implementing a new clinical trial management system. And I think we have a tendency of, why aren't you putting this in? This is going to help you so much. And, you know, I've had conversations where folks have said, well, you need to prove to me, give me more proof, because I'm not going to move ahead and invest without more proof. And it made me realize when I walked into an IntelliQuip, we needed case studies and we didn't have them. And we were measuring things like patient enrollment in trials, which is great, but it's not the only measurement point. And so I would say it took us six, nine months to a year to even get case studies together. And I think that was a roadblock for us moving forward because we didn't have the proof and the evidence necessary to demonstrate. And that's why I say now, you know, technology isn't going to solve all your problems because I will say you want to get in there and say, we can fix everything for you. You know, that's not going to happen. And people adopt at different rates. But, but I would say one of my biggest roadblocks at IntelliQuip was we just didn't have those case studies. We didn't have that proof and evidence. And it was probably short-sighted of me to think we could move faster than we could without it. Yeah. And in my seat, sales world, we call those sales enablement materials because customers or prospects are not customers yet. And they are going to come back to you and say, I want concrete evidence that I should do this thing. And you go, well, it works for everybody else. And they go, how, and what'd you measure? And how do you know that? And, um, and the worst one is, you know, well, have you worked with anybody like me? And you kind of go, I know it's going to work for you because you sort of, yes, but not exactly because everybody thinks they're unique. You know? <laughs> so yeah. And if there's anything that an organization can do to really help on the business development side, I can tell you that um, customers do not consume one-to-many marketing materials such as white papers and, you know, all these things. They want to say what's in it for me. And I need a picture of that in a very detailed kind of way that's that's easy to consume. Uh, so yes, we ought to have high-level marketing materials, but you will hang your BD people out to dry if you don't have sales enablement materials and can tell the difference. That's absolutely correct. You're spot on. 
Well, it, it, that's how I earned my haircut. You know, so. <laughs> I would love to blame my grays on that, but I can't. <laughs> what would you go back and tell 20 years ago, Marie, mm. based on today's wisdom? Mm. 20 years ago, I used to say yes to everything. I wanted to have all kinds of experiences to make myself a good leader. What I didn't do is I didn't say, will that project help me? It helped the company, but I was too much of a problem solver. I spent all my time problem solving, so people took it for granted. And frequently, those things actually didn't help me. And so I would say, be more selective. Yes, you want to evolve and grow. Yes, you want to be a great leader. Really pick and choose the things you're going to spend your time on because you have a limited amount of time. So put it in the places that will have the most impact. For me, that was patient focused or that was, you know, developing me as a better leader. Um, that's what I would really do differently. And I would probably also speak more my mind. I'd say no. I don't dis I don't agree with that. How about this way instead? Right? I think um all too often people nod their head. They say yes, but in the inside they're going, well, I'm not sure that's gonna work. I would be more vocal 20 years ago. 15 years ago I was vocal, but I think it took some time to get there. Right, right. Well, so the wisdom of saying no certainly applies to not just your career. Um, you may have been the type who is a chronic volunteer and, you know, fixing everything all around the whole world. And, uh, you, you do run out of time and you don't, you don't get to recharge. And I think that that is a huge lesson. It also speaks to, in order to have made any of those decisions, you would have had to have goals and plans that spoke to 20 years ago, Marie. And I, I don't think a lot of us have strategic career plans. I know I didn't, you know, I kind of bounced around for a long time, uh, find fit by accident, you know, seemed to be, I, I had no plan. I had no written goals or strategy or mentorship or anything of that nature. How would, did you do that? How would you do that? Because if you have to refine that focus, it, you don't know what to say yes or no to, if you don't have an idea of what you're shooting at. Well, some people want to be a CFO. Some people want to be a COO. Some people want to be a um, chief business officer. Uh, you know, wide ranges. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to know precisely what you want to do, but you do need to do what you don't want to do, right? Sometimes it it is narrow the focus. I don't want to do these things. They, they don't interest me. They're not going to add to me at all. And if you know what those things are, you don't want to do, they start leading you to, towards what do you want to do? Because you can start saying no to the things you don't want to do. I can relate to that on a business context too. I think that's a really good exercise to, it, it can be difficult to set out at a, at a new company and say, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't tell you what to walk away from. Yes. Uh, and chasing revenue is the death knell. You know, we'll do anything for money. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> and then you can't, you can't scale. You can't build, build stuff out. Um, not that I'm going to tell people, you know, sort of like, look, you need your survival money, but you also need to think about firing those clients uh, as soon as you start uh, yes. to get the ones that you want. 
Well, you know, I have a team member, my head of business development for cancer centers talks about an asset-based model. And she wants to interact with cancer centers who want to add patients to trials. And folks that really aren't interested probably shouldn't be in our research consortium. And we've really made this switch over to that asset-based model. If you don't want to be doing trials, you don't really want to be engaged, then you're probably not the right fit for the consortium. That's a tough decision to make when you've had folks in and engaged to be able to say, you know what, we're probably not the right fit anymore together. You know, I, I had, to, had to send a termination letter to someone for a cancer center. That's not easy to do, but it was the right thing to do for them and for us. Um, but we did not come to it easily. And so I think I do. I think you're totally spot on. If I contemplate the data side of our house, when I stepped in, we were bringing all data in. We don't need all data. I don't need billing data. We only need clinically relevant healthcare data to match a patient to a trial. So let's not bring in the rest. It doesn't add any value. Uh, if anything, it just takes up space. So making those time kinds of decisions might be difficult, but it's the right thing to do. Sure, sure. And you can have that. That is the essence of strategic focus and sticking to it. You know, mm -hmm. so you could say, you know, in our business, one of our businesses, it'll be our passion statement, you know, instead of a vision sure. statement, we decided like, this is what we care about. And it was not as much related to the thing you do. It was related to, you know, founders we work with will never have to worry about cash flow again. And, and then we could say, can I measure the activity I'm about to undertake and say, will mm. I achieve that goal through constituent X by doing that and different stakeholders? And you quickly find that this doesn't, I cannot justify this thing that might actually make us money, but it just doesn't right. ride that track. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely relate to that because there's when you especially when you're idea people there's a, a copious green field blue ocean or like anything you could do and and mm -hmm. we like consuming those new opportunities right. and ideas um the operators and you know sort of business delivery people around us is like can you just stick with one idea please <laughs> could, you, could we do one thing right with, without changing course because i know you read a new business article or a new business book or a blog no, <laughs> like, let's stick to the operating system we have. And I, I love having people push back on that. Well, you know, let me give you an interesting thing that, that occurred in our org. We have in our platform, the patient matching, and we have something called population querying. And there was a mindset is if you did not use the patient matching, you're not a good customer. But some cancer centers think the population querying tool is the best thing ever. And they love that and use it all the time. And so it took us sitting with a cancer center and actually saying, let's go through what it does for you to find out that for some centers, that's that leads to their patient matching, but it saves them more time. So a, a silly story is a feasibility questionnaire has to be filled out by a cancer center for a sponsor in order for a cancer center to, to do a study. It takes a lot of time. You can take three to four hours or longer. And one center was spending 24 hours a week filling out these forms. So we went through with them. Okay, what does it take using our platform? It takes 30 minutes. So 24 hours, 
30 minutes. No wonder they love it. But I had a team who was thinking, maybe we should just get rid of this tool. And the answer is absolutely not. This saves so much time that they can spend the rest of the time on the patient matching or patient facing activity, right? But it was a tool that was almost a byproduct initially of the platform development. And now we talk about it with everybody when we're doing business development because it makes such a difference in terms of saving them time and money. And it, it let me explain the why. Cancer centers need revenue. And they need less expense, like everybody else. The only way they get revenue is reimbursement, either reimbursement from insurance companies or reimbursement if they enroll a patient in the clinical trial. But if you can't get the trial started and you can't match patients, you don't get that reimbursement. So your cost basis clearly goes up. So anything we can do to help them get that revenue faster and reduce their costs is a win. And they use our technology to do it. So I, you know, I use that as a way to say, you're right. Relook at everything you do all the time. What you might want to get rid of, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe it has a, a an unintended value you didn't understand. You're right, and that's this customer empathy. You know, it's like, why are you using this thing? It's also why people build, you know, detailed analytical packages into the usage side of software. So what what are people actually doing with this thing? And uh, you know, that's a tremendous opportunity for improving SaaS, certainly is to, to do that. So, well, Marie, thank you for all the insights. This has been a lot of fun. I learned a lot about uh, leadership styles and, and all that. Um, if anybody in the audience uh, resonated with, with you personally, uh, love to know if, how would you like people to reach out if they want to do that? You know what? They can reach out to my email. It's mlamont, L-A-M-O-N-T, at IntelliQuit.com. Uh, they can also hit the IntelliQuit website. We have a ton of case studies, both for real-world evidence, for clinical trials, for patient matching, and they can download those as well. Well, thank you for coming out today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.